this is Jen and this is my podcast, These Dramatic Days. I like having really smart conversations about K-dramas and Taiwanese dramas as well. And I know it's been a very long time since I've done one of these. I feel like that's the running joke now. I start every podcast by saying I'm going to be more consistent and then I don't record one for like a year or something like that. But this time I promise I will be more consistent because I have moved to a quieter area and so it's easier for me to record podcasts. I've also been consistent with watching my dramas and I just finished Heartbeat which is the drama I'm going to be talking about today and I have a lot of strong feelings about this drama and I don't know if they're all going to be very pleasant but I just want to put out my thoughts out there because I feel a lot of people would have had similar feelings once they finished this series and once they watched that last episode and I just want to talk about it because I feel like it's been an ongoing issue in a lot of K-dramas particularly rom-coms which start off having this like really nice storyline good pacing great chemistry and then fizzles fizzles so badly due to bad pacing bad editing bad writing and it's such a shame because so many dramas have so much potential and so I want to talk about that in relation to heartbeat today and so my usual warning applies if you haven't watched the drama and you want to I would recommend watching it first because I will talk about a lot of things that could be potential spoilers for you. So let's do things the usual way and I'll give you a rundown of all the topics I want to cover about heartbeats. So number one I want to talk about the drama plot and give you an outline of the story. Number two I want to talk about the main actors. So a mini deep dive into Taekyeon and Wanjian who of course portray the main characters in the story. Number three I want to talk about the ending for heartbeat and I know that endings can be very subjective and people can feel that it's good or bad for different reasons but most of the time k-drama viewers have similar feelings over bad endings and it's because the studios keep repeating the same sorts of mistakes and I just want to talk about why it is that fans commonly dislike these types of endings and before someone says it's because it's a sad ending for this drama I'm going to say I actually handle sad endings pretty well if they're done well but this one was not and so I'm going to talk about what it means to have a good sad ending and what it means to have a bad sad ending. To be honest this will probably be the largest part of the discussion because I'll be talking about so many elements of k-dramas in that I'll be talking about subplots and pacing and writing and editing but last of all I want to talk about the theme of vampires because I feel like they've made a return in popular culture. They always do it seems to be that they become very popular then they come out of fashion but then they cycle back in every like 10 years or so that's my theory anyway and I just want to talk about how Heartbeat sits in relation to all the other vampire k-dramas that I've seen and maybe you can pick up a few recommendations if you haven't seen any other vampire k-dramas before this one. So to start talking about this k-drama we really have to look at the story first and the story revolves around a vampire called Samuel Hill who has a very tragic love story in that his first love was a human who pretty much sacrificed herself to save him and so while he goes on living he's still very lonely and pines after her and on top of this he has always just been a romantic he wants to experience love that will make his heart beat of course being a vampire he doesn't actually have a heart and therefore doesn't have a heartbeat so his real dream is actually to become a human somehow he meets a magical cat person who knows how to turn him into a human and he's told that he has 
has to sleep for a hundred years like Sleeping Beauty except he has to do this in a Hawthorne coffin. If you're familiar with vampire stories Hawthorne is the wood that's used to create the stakes that kill vampires so basically what he's doing is very dangerous but he wants to be human so badly that he's willing to do it anyway and he almost succeeds except that one day before a hundred years is up a human opens his coffin and disturbs him from his slumber. So he ends up being a half vampire half human hybrid. As it turns out the girl who opens his coffin is Drew Inhay who is the latest descendant of a family of butlers who have served this vampire for a long time. She is essentially an orphan who has inherited this mansion because her dad has been declared dead because he's been missing for many years and she's really happy to have somewhere to live because she had been tricked previously by her landlord and so she was going to be homeless as well. But after waking up the vampire she also has to become his housemate and so this sets up a lot of hijinks for romance and comedy and it's kind of really sad because it was actually a really really good setup for a rom-com I felt like the premise was really cute as well it's a little bit cheesy I mean a vampire who wants to experience love that makes his heart beat so cheesy it gets used a lot during this drama but there's also something really humane and endearing about the main character that you really don't mind that that is the central focus of that story So I think this is a good segue to talk about who plays each of the main characters. Of course the main character of the drama is a vampire called Sonwoo Hill who is played by the actor and idol Octakeon. I feel like he doesn't need that much of an introduction since he's been famous for such a long time but just in case you don't really follow K-pop or you haven't watched that many K-dramas he's probably most well known for being a member of the K-pop band 2PM which funnily enough I have seen in real life life so I have to admit that I am not like well versed in k-pop the way that I am in k-dramas so it is really rare that I go to a k-pop concert but about something like 15 years ago there was this huge k-pop concert in Australia and it had all the big bands at the time so like Girls Generation, CN Blue, Beast and of course 2PM came and it's just funny to think that at the time I didn't know who Taekyung was whereas now I'd be like so much of a fangirl if I saw him in real life. But I think I'm going on a tangent so my point is he is well known in the k-pop world for being a member of this band 2PM and then he's also been an actor for a very long time as well and he seems to have done a number of projects across different genres so he has acted in supernatural stuff before as well in projects like Bring It On Ghost. He's also no stranger to comedy because he did a historical comedy with Kim Hyun, who is one of my favorites and that was in the project Secret Royal Inspector and Joy and then of course he was also the bad guy in Vincenzo which I did not watch but I know that a lot of people said that he did a pretty good job being a pretty bad person and then he also did a crime mystery thriller drama called Blind which was his last project before doing Heartbeat. Taekyun was also a cameo in that American teen series Exo Kitty which is a spin-off of To All the Boys I've Loved Before by the Korean American author Jenny Han. He plays a character called Ocean Park who spent some intimate moments with one of the character's mothers. I'm actually surprised he did that cameo but it's a bit of fun and it was probably doing something a little bit different from your average K-drama. So he's covered a lot of different types of projects over the years that he's been acting and he's been acting since 2010 which is a very long time but then again he sort of emerged 
researched in one of the earlier generations of K-pop. So it would make sense that he's also been acting for the same amount of time as well. And actually, I have to confess that I haven't watched a lot of dramas that Taekyeon has starred in. I don't know why. I think I must have just sort of skipped through them or they were not genres that I was particularly interested in. But I was drawn to Heartbeat because I saw a trailer of Taekyeon in this role and he just looked really super expressive. And that just got me really curious about the character. And I liked the idea of watching a rom-com. I also liked the idea of watching a vampire drama, mainly because I do have a soft spot for vampires. And I felt like Taekyeon actually was pretty good in this role in that he was equal parts silly and fun, but also at the same time, very warm, very charismatic. And these are all qualities that you want in a vampire drama, especially when it's meant to be comedy. It's meant to be a little bit camp. And the main character is someone who is not that keen to be a vampire. He wants to be more human. And so I felt like Taekyeon really was very good at bringing that balance between being someone who seemed cool or otherworldly and someone who was just your everyday Joe. And then I also have to add that Taekyeon is a very, very fine looking vampire in that I think he pulls off that dapper style really well. And that is fortunately the look that they do like to give vampires in a lot of TV series. They like to put them in suits. They like to have them look really elegant and really refined and cultured. And I feel like this is a suitable look for Taekyeon. Like it just makes him look extra attractive. But I'm going to stop myself from fangirling over him. And I'm going to talk about his co-star, Won Jian, who I also really, really like. I feel like she's been on the rise as a new actress. She's only like 23 years old, I think. But anyway, she's been in a lot of projects of late. So you will have seen her in DP if you watch that. She's also in both season one and two of a drama called Hope or Dope, which is the first time that I ever actually saw her as an actress. And despite the name being a little bit flat, in my opinion, I feel like the drama is quite good. It's about a girl who is being used as a drug mill by her own mother. And she stars opposite Yoon Chan Young in that drama. And he's, of course, one of the main actors from All of Us Are Dead. And then if we look into the future of her career after Heartbeats, she's actually cast in the second season of Squid Game. So this will be very, very interesting. So I say interesting because I feel like she's quite suited to be in the world of Squid Game. And I also really, really, really loved Squid Game as a drama. But I do think second seasons can be a bit dicey. And I feel like we've seen this a lot this year where the second season just hasn't been as good as the first season of a drama. But if Squid Game's second season turns out to be as big as the first one, it could do really big things for Won Jian's career. I think she's such a cool actress. I mean, she has this sense of aloofness, which can also be used really well for her characters. So I think that's why she could suit a role in Squid Game because she would pull off a really cool female character. But I think this has also been her charm in Heartbeat as well, because she's someone who can seem very reserved and very closed off, but can seem very warm once it opened up. And I liked the chemistry between Won Jian and Octaekyeon because I thought they were both pretty cute and natural when they did their interviews together. And while I wouldn't say that these two were like the super fan service sort of pairing, they did seem to get along and I thought it was really cute that he remembered that she liked gummies from all their time filming together on set. He mentions this in the Marie Claire interview that he does with Won Jian and he wins the prize between the quiz that they're doing and then he's like, oh, they're just gummies and he gives them all to her because he knows that she likes them. I really like these kinds of interactions because it sort of gives you insight into the closeness of the two actors working together. And while I didn't notice a huge number 
of deluded fangirls for this drama. I do know we live in an age of social media, so somebody probably stalked the two of them and noticed that Wanjian doesn't follow Taekyeon on Instagram, but I think that's fine because he's really famous and she's sort of starting out in her career, and I don't think she wants to uh, have any trouble with his strong army of fangirls. And I'm also going to address this even though I feel like it's not a big deal. Someone probably pointed out that Taekyeon posted a lot of photos with the second lead and not so much the first lead. I'm gonna say that's because they were probably closer in age and and again they were both dressed in like historical costumes. I don't know why actors tend to love taking photos when they're dressed in historical costumes probably because it's fun and it's not something you do all the time and so I think it really says nothing about liking one co-star over another. In any case I watched a lot of the behind the scenes and a lot of the interviews and I felt like they got along so well despite the fact that they're like 10 years apart. So I really liked the very natural chemistry that the two of them had. So aside from the main two actors I want to talk about casting in general for Heartbeats. I guess I was a little bit surprised by the cast or the actors selected for the side characters. I feel like in other dramas they often have a lot of side characters who are up and coming names who you've seen a lot in recent dramas. In this drama the second female lead had been in a handful of things but the second male lead had not. He's a fairly new actor and then everyone else seemed to be either of an older age group who were established side actors or younger age group and what I mean by that was that they were basically kids and there's definitely nothing wrong with that because Korean dramas are very community and family focused so you definitely need people to play people of all ages but in terms of the core audiences of rom-coms I often think that it skews a bit younger like towards teens and early 20s and 30s so I guess I wonder if it would have been more successful or might have had more of a direction in terms of storyline if they had included more subplots with other vampires of similar ages to the main characters and I think this note is a perfect segue into talking about the ending of Heartbeat and what I thought could have been done a lot better in this drama because I felt like when I saw the storyline it had so much potential and given that it was a rom-com this is a pretty easy genre to please your audiences in but somehow I think Korean directors and scriptwriters and producers don't seem to understand that the point of a rom-com is to keep it light. I also think that if they wanted to make a sad ending from a story that was initially sort of light and funny I think they should also just not call it a rom-com so that people can set up the right expectations and not expect the ending to be a certain way. And I think part of the problem is they don't really have a lot of words for types of TV shows. I think they just sort of sit under these huge umbrellas like rom-com because there's romance and comedy. And I guess they don't think, hey, if I want to experiment with something that then turns into something else outside of romance and comedy, then it actually means that I've changed the genre. I've changed the type of K-drama that I'm making. So I think that's part of the problem in dramas like Heartbeat where they label and market the drama a certain way but then it doesn't meet the expectations of fans who were expecting something different. But that's just one side of it. It's not all about managing the expectations of the audience. It's actually about providing for the audience as well. And the problem with these types of dramas is that they always fall over in the same way, like almost exactly the same way. I think before we go into why the ending was so disappointing, we better talk about what the ending actually was. And it's a little bit complicated because I think the ending sort of starts happening from 
from episode 14 onwards. And before that, there were also a number of problems that led to the ending being the way it became. So we find out pretty early on that Samuel Hill, the vampire, he has to drink the blood of Inhei, the girl who opened his coffin. And this has to be done when she's in love so that her cold blood turns into warm blood. But from episode 14 onwards, we find out that not only does he have to drink her blood, he has to drink all of her blood. And if he doesn't get to drink her blood and doesn't become a human, then Woohill will end up dying because he's basically in a place that no one can be in. He's not a vampire and he's not a human. And then if he does drink all of Inhei's blood, Inhei will die and she's the one thing that he's wanting to live for. So it's that impossible scenario where one must die if the other is to live. And going into episode 15 and 16, you think that they would try to find a solution for this and the two main characters would be trying really hard to fight fate. But instead, I feel like the characters actually give in to fate. And Warhill just decides that he will tie up his affairs and then pass away by himself. And despite the fact that Inhei tells him that she never wants him to leave her, he decides that it's the best thing to do if he goes and dies alone and leaves her so that she's not there with a broken heart when he passes away. So yes, they went the oldest route in the K-drama world and the main character descends into noble idiocy and decides what's best for everyone and all his friends and family are worried sick looking for him because they can't find him and they know that he's really sick and could die and they wouldn't get the chance to even be sure they wouldn't get that closure but then the evil vampire Manhui tries to get revenge on Wuhil by targeting Inhei and he does succeed in drawing Wuhil out because of course he will always protect Inhei when he knows that she's in danger. So then the two vampires fight and of course the good vampire wins, the bad vampire runs away. Inhei and Wuhil are finally reunited except that he seems very hesitant to actually see her but when she expresses how upset she is he promises that he won't leave her side ever again. At this point the second lead Dosik comes to see both Somul Hill and Inhei hugging and he of course is still extremely jealous of Somul Hill. He's also hunting him because his family are vampire hunters and they're cursed with extra short lifespans and so he needs the blood of Somul Hill to be able to live a longer life. So Dosik ends up asking Somul Hill out to meet him in a dark area and then he tells him he's a monster and he tries to convince him to kill himself but when he refuses because he says he needs to keep his promise to Inhei. Dosik tries to kill him but luckily Inhei is around and she's followed him and she stops anything from happening. There's also a second lead called Heiwan who is the female second lead and she is the woman that looks a lot like Somuhil's first love. The one called Heisan who he's been pining for for a hundred years and throughout the series Heiwan becomes more and more obsessed with Wuhil and she becomes more and more obsessed with owning the mansion that he lives in. So when she gets rejected by Woohill and she finds out that he likes Inhei, she becomes very very angry and she decides to resume the redevelopment project which was something that she was doing to try to get a hold of the mansion and she also tells the neighborhood that there are vampires living in the mansion and I think it's really funny because the neighbors actually are not fearful of the fact that there's vampires living there that could actually hunt them for blood. They're just upset about the fact that they can't have their land redeveloped which means that they can't get more value on their properties. Anyway, Heiwan's the one who starts the witch hunt against the vampires that are living and look after the guest house, the Shaded Oasis. She also 
Alyssa constantly tries to come in between Inhei and Woohill, and she tries to blame Inhei for not sacrificing her life to Woohill. But what I like is that Inhei is a really strong female character, and she stands up to Heiwon and tells her that she's actually the problem. She's the one who's making Woohill's life miserable. And then, of course, there's the third subplot, which involves Inhei's father, who, after being rescued from the vampire Manhui, is traumatized. And when he sees Manhui, he just feels unsafe again. And even even though he's been a loyal servant looking after the mansion and making sure that Woohill was protected when he was in his sleep, he wants to protect Inhei and he doesn't want them to stay at the mansion if they are not safe. And so he asks Woohill if he can leave with Inhei and some Woohill tells him he doesn't need a butler anymore. So he's free from serving him, but he begs him to let Inhei stay at the mansion so that he can spend his last few days with her before he dies. So now we're getting to the ending and you're thinking, surely he won't die. Surely they'll find a way to be together, especially since Inhei and Woohill have a talk and she says that they'll find a way together and she calls him out for trying to run away from her and she says something like, don't you think it's selfish that you would leave me thinking about you for the rest of my life? To his credit, Samuel Hill does stop being a noble idiot and he stops denying the two of them the last moments of his life. He actually wants to spend all his time with her and he proposes that they go on a trip away. So their trip is one of those beautiful romantic getaways. They go to the beach, they play around, they kiss in the sunset and they tell each other how much they mean to each other. And as many people pointed out, this should have been the ending. But then Woohill ends up feeling very sick and so they go back to where they're staying and Inhei feeds him some of her blood while he's unconscious which makes him realize that Inhei was Heisan all along despite the fact that she doesn't look the same as she used to. Anyway so Woohill sneaks out when Inhei is asleep and you find out through flashbacks that he's agreed to meet Dusik and donate his blood to him on the day that he dies. So Dusik and Woohill meet on the beach and just as Woohill is about about to stab himself with the Hawthorne knife. Inhei comes and she pleads him not to do it, but he still does it anyway. Then he does the one thing that he said he never wanted to do, which is pretty much die in her arms while she's heartbroken and crying her heart out. So the final moments in this drama are pretty much the funeral of Song Woohill, where they talk about how he was more human than a lot of humans, even though he was a vampire. And then one of the subplots is resolved because the cat person comes to visit Inhei and gives her Woohill's missing gold, which he had been protecting for him and then you see a whole bunch of scenes where his friends are doing well and Inhei's doing well running all their businesses and now they're being supported by the neighborhood now that there's no redevelopment project everyone is friends again but you see that Inhei still longs for Woohill and she waits for him in the mansion and the final scenes are her imagining him standing on the balcony of their mansion looking down from the balcony into her eyes and at this point I was so frustrated and annoyed with the ending and it's not actually because it was sad even though I feel like it was very very sad it was because this is a kind of trope that is applied to Korean rom-com dramas in particular down to the fact that they imagine that their loved ones come back to life at the end and if you don't believe that this is a trope I would highly recommend looking up the endings of a number of other rom-coms I can think of two at the top of my head so there's Dodo So So La La So which had a very train wreck of an ending even 
though I really love that drama. That is one of my favorite dramas of all times. There's also the rom-com Monthly Home Magazine, which is a drama that I didn't love, but I enjoyed while watching. And all I can remember is the ending. It was painful on so many levels for the same reasons as this. There wasn't a death, I guess, but there may as well have been because of the way it ended. So all three of these rom-coms have pretty sad endings. And as I said before, I don't mind sad endings. I actually do like stories that have bittersweetness and a tinge of reality as well. But my problem with these rom-coms having sad endings is that A, that's not the definition of what a rom-com is. If you want to keep that flow of romance and comedy, you need to give it a romance comedy ending. And what that means is that it should warm your heart because there are some moments of love and it should just be funny. It should make you laugh. By ending things on a sad note and not just in the last episode, but like the last three episodes or the last five episodes, it essentially becomes a romance tragedy. And that is what it should be called to warn people when they want Watch the drama, not this fake label of being a romance comedy. And then my second point, or my point B, is that even if the directors or the scriptwriters were like, oh, but we're making a rom-com and we just want to give it a twist, we want to break the mold and do something different, I have to say this is not it, because as I mentioned before, there are so many romance comedies that turn into romance tragedies that it's actually not unique or original or different at all. It's just a repetition of a style that gives people anxiety and confusion uses people and in the end people don't like it. They might tune in because they want to know that there's going to be some sort of change but once they get to the ending and they watch the whole thing people end up not liking the ending and that sours their memories of the drama. And again I'm gonna say I like a sad ending when it's done well but these sort of sad endings are not done well so I want to look at what makes a bad sad ending. And in Heartbeat I want to say one of the main reasons that the ending was so poor was due to story pacing. So what I mean by that is how fast or slow events are going in the story, whether or not an event or a series of events makes sense at that point in the story, and whether or not things are spread out enough so that the ending has enough time to present a good resolution. One that makes sense and ties up all the loose ends that you need to tie up. In Heartbeat the pacing was slow and I didn't mind that because it was about building up the world of the vampires at first and because there wasn't any really big super arching villain. It kind of didn't really need to be that super exciting. It could be a little bit more like almost like a slice of life, except it was a slice of a vampire's life. And it was kind of charming in that it was about him learning to be human. But then they started adding all these exciting elements and this should have quickened up the storyline. For example, the introduction of vampire hunters, especially one that was coming after the blood of the main character. They also introduced the idea of having a doppelganger in reincarnation and that could have been really interesting because Heiwan was set to be kind of evil or kind of a troublemaker. And you'd think that having two second leads adding pressure to the relationship of the main couple would make them closer and would provide a lot of tension for Sonwoo Hill becoming human, but it never really does. And I think the problem is that there were too many subplots in the story and all of them became quite stunted. And maybe I'm about to sound a little harsh, but 
don't get me wrong because I still really liked the drama, I really liked the main two actors and I liked their characters a lot. But I felt like some of the events in this story were not well utilized. For example, Inhei starting a guest house called the Shaded Oasis, you would think it would bring in more vampire guests, especially because that was where all the vampires used to hang out. All it did was introduce three guests and they were all people that didn't have very interesting stories. It was a little bit subpar. Like the scenarios were all scenarios you've seen before. For example, a girl with a stalking ex-boyfriend or a dad missing his daughter. And none of them were told in a particularly meaningful way. So it took up storytelling time in the episodes, but it didn't really introduce anything interesting to our main characters like Inhei and Woohill. I'm sure someone would argue that it was meant to hint at things like Inhei's dad returning to the storyline. But given the fact that there was all this focus on Inhei's dad in the first few episodes and how he mysteriously disappeared, I don't even think that that side character was really necessary at the guest house. And again, maybe I sound really harsh here, but I feel like the storyline with the guest house made the drama look a little bit more low budget because what kind of a guest house would only have three guests? Also, none of the guests were actually really well-known actors. There were no cameos from other well-known actors. And so it just seemed a little bit like it was some sort of cost-saving measure to use as few actors as possible in a storyline where more actors should have been involved to create a realistic feel of the world and the scenarios that the characters faced in that world. Another unnecessary side story which ruined the pacing for Heartbeat for me was the storyline about the redevelopment of the neighborhood. I'm going to be brutally honest at this point and say that I found the whole storyline to be really really boring. I had very little care for both the butcher and the tailor who I found to be like very gossipy characters that didn't really add comic relief as I assumed they were supposed to do. And I feel like every time they cut to one of the scenes talking about the redevelopment of the area, it really slowed down the storyline. I think it's meant to be some sort of surprise that Haywon was the one who planted the seed about the redevelopment many years ago. I don't know why that would have been so shocking because Haywon obviously was obsessed with the mansion. She's the second lead and she's depicted to have a personality that is I get what I want, I'll do whatever it takes. And so whenever I think about this subplot with the redevelopment, it kind of reminds me of the subplot in Strong Woman Do Bong Soon. I'm not sure if you've all seen that drama, but basically there's a subplot involving gangsters that follow her around and it's meant to be comic relief, but towards the end of that drama, they spend so much airtime on these gangsters that it no longer becomes funny and it just takes away time from the main couple, which everyone wants to know about. And this is the same in Heartbeat. Every time I saw a scene about the redevelopment, I was really frustrated because I wanted it to be more airtime for the main couple rather than all these side characters and this very boring subplot. The last subplot I want to talk about that I felt really slowed down the drama was that storyline about the missing gold that belonged to Somwoo Hill and it went missing when he was asleep in the Hawthorne coffin for a hundred years and I feel like this storyline was basically added in to give Somwoo Hill's vampire friends something to do otherwise they wouldn't really seem to have much of a purpose in the show other than to be his supportive friends. And it's not unusual in Korean dramas to have some sort of fun and trivial mystery so if you think to a drama like Hometown Cha 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 there are three grand mysteries in the town and those mysteries were things like why did this couple get divorced and who won that mysterious lottery a few years back. So I feel like the storyline with the missing gold was meant to be a similar thing in Heartbeat but it did have the 
the same charm as the mysteries in Hometown Cha Cha Cha, at least not for me. And I think it might be because every time they showed scenes of the vampire friends investigating where this gold had gone, they were all supposed to be very slapstick funny, but they just weren't funny at all. And so the humor felt very flat. There weren't a lot of clues and they weren't very well hidden. And then when there was that big reveal at the very end that it was the cat human, it kind of wasn't that surprising because he was the first suspect named anyway. So I guess to sum up, these three side stories in the drama really slowed down the action for the main events happening. And so they really tampered with the pacing of the drama. Another thing that really messed up the pacing of the drama was the airtime given to the second leads for such a long period of time at the beginning of the drama compared to the amount of airtime given to the main couple. I don't know if you felt this too, but there were some great moments between the main couple and they bonded really well. But then they introduced Dusik and Heiwan, the second leads. And even though they were applying all these pressures onto the main couple, instead of bringing them closer together, they were actually tearing the main couple apart. And I know that's part of the process with second leads as well. But in this case, it felt like it was several episodes long and that was way too long. And I guess part of the problem is because the story is rooted in Samuel Hill's story with his first love, Heisan. And so when the second lead, Heiwon, comes along who looks exactly like Heisan, of course they had to spend several episodes with Somul Hill unpacking his feelings and realizing that he actually likes Inhei. But of course those episodes where Somul Hill is just making puppy eyes at Heiwon thinking that she is Heisan, his first love, those draggy episodes with the second lead felt excruciatingly long and they really hurt because of course he had already established a connection with Inhei and he had even taken a job as a janitor just so he could be close to her at work. He had understood her feelings and made her feel safe and he'd known exactly the right thing to say to her that she was doing well and stroked her hair when she was having a bad day. And of course he saw himself reflected in her eyes which was pretty much something that had never happened to him before. And so those all should have been signs that he was on the right track to finding a love that would make his heart beat. Given all the development that had happened between the main two leads it just seemed like such a waste of time to have a detour with the second lead and for Samuel Hill to take so long to hit Epiphany and realize hey I actually like Inhei instead. I guess I was disappointed because I was hoping he would be more self-reflective like the characters in Weightlifting Fairy who pretty much came to conclusions in the space of one or two episodes and so you didn't really get that dragginess. The pacing of Weightlifting Fairy is amazing. I feel like that drama just brings up issues and resolves them like that and I wish other dramas like Heartbeat could have been a bit more like that type of pacing. But getting back to the airtime that was given to the second leads, I felt like on the other side with the male second lead, Dusik, he never actually ends up getting out of the friend zone and so there's not actually that much time spent between Inhei and Dusik, especially because he's just her friend. But there were a lot of draggy episodes spent on Dusik trying to scheme a way to get access to Somal Hill's blood. And those episodes were really slow and tedious because for a vampire hunter, he had surprisingly few moves in hunting a vampire. His only real move seemed to be like using money to hire people like that secretary which he sent to look at things and spy on people and then also Manhui who he sent to do his dirty work. And those scenes where he was giving instructions or scheming they weren't very creative or original. They didn't involve any high level plans and so they were very slow to be honest. So all this timing spent on drawing out the storylines of both 
with the second leads made the story pacing a little bit slower and more unstable towards the end. And I'm probably pointing out the obvious by saying that both second leads were pretty dislikable characters, they were pretty self-serving and very possessive and scheming characters in the way that they treated the two main leads. And this is coming from me who normally loves second leads. Like you know how some people talk about how they never get second lead syndrome? Well I'm the opposite of that. I almost always have second lead syndrome. I can't count the number of times I've started to watch a drama because I really really like the main actor and I like the main pairing and then once I started watching the drama I started getting caught up in the storyline and then there was a second lead who was really kind and really empathetic and pretty understanding to the female lead's situation or feelings and then I start getting interested in the second lead actor and then I have a really bad case of second lead syndrome. That's happened so many times but I guess second leads often go one of two very different ways so they can either be really wonderful people who are overlooked by the main characters or they can be really awful people who try to control and manipulate the situation with the main leads. I guess it's been a while since I've watched a drama where the second leads were selfish but I have to say this one really took the cake because not only was it one second lead that was like this it was both second leads and so the fact that both second leads and their storylines got so much airtime it made it hard to watch because it just meant there were so many problems to be solved and a lot of going back and forth between the characters and I felt like it was frustrating because it took away time that the writers could have given to the main characters to at least show that they were trying to resolve their own problems and even though I really really like the main characters of Heartbeat I have to say they were also problematic in that they created their own problems and so aside from pacing I'm going to talk about another issue that turns up in rom-coms that ruins the ending and that issue is called Noble Idiocy. So many many seasoned and experienced K-drama watchers will tell you that they hate Noble Idiocy. It is the trope of a main character sacrificing themselves when nobody asks them to sacrifice themselves. In fact sometimes the other characters are protesting and saying please don't do this and they still go and do it. Often it relates to something tragic. For example it relates to losing a lot of money or the main character getting sick and discovering they're going to die and so their mentality is like I don't want to hurt the other people around me so I'm just going to go off by myself I'm going to run away from my relationship I'm going to leave my friends and often they do this without saying anything so everyone's worried about them and ironically it just ends up causing more problems and so that's why the term is called noble idiocy they're acting in a way that they think is noble but it's actually quite idiotic and leads to more chaos in the story Line. And so I think you know what I'm about to say because Samuel Hill basically does go through this arc. He gets sick and discovers that he's going to die and he pretty much just leaves. Like he decides, oh, I'm going to die by myself because I can't bear to think of Inhei and how she's going to suffer when she sees that I'm dying. But I was just really surprised at this point because I thought that he knew pretty much that she had abandonment issues and she had explicitly told him that she never wanted him to leave her side again because it was one of her worst fears that everyone around her, everyone that she loved and cared for really deeply, always seemed to be leaving her. And I'm pretty sure he knew this from the fact that he helped her look for her dad. Of course, later on we find out that Inhei's dad didn't really abandon her, but you know, someone who's been through that experience of someone leaving unexpectedly would always have that trauma, especially when it happened to them when they were really young. And so from my perspective, I don't think it really made sense that Samuel Hill, being someone who really 
loved this person and really cared for them and had showed that he was a caring vampire would then go off and disappear without so much as a goodbye or a note explaining why he was doing what he was doing. Like it just seems so old fashioned and outdated to have a character default into noble idiocy. I mean, it's sort of like taking away the agency of other people to decide how they feel about the situation because the main character just decides for everyone else. And some people might say he did this to protect Inhei because of course he didn't want her to find out that he could live but he would have to drain her of all her blood and she would have to die. But if you think about it, if he was to disappear she would probably do investigating to find out why he disappeared and then she would stumble across the truth. And so noble idiocy does not make sense to me at all. And I think I mentioned this before and I really want to talk about this in detail later but I'm glad that Inhei called out Sunwoo Hill on that sort of noble idiocy move because she asks him if he has ever thought about the fact that she would be here for the rest of her life pining away for him the way that he had done with Heisan. And I feel like she said the words that all viewers were actually thinking in that moment. And I wish I could say Sunwoo Hill only performed noble idiocy that one time when he ran away because he was thinking that he would just pass away by himself. But no, there's an even worse case of noble idiocy in this drama, believe it or not. And that is actually why the ending is so bad because it is the ultimate act of noble idiocy. Remember how I said Sunwoo Hill was dying and he didn't want Inhei to know? There's also the other side of it, which was that he wanted Inhei to be surrounded by people who loved and supported her. And that doesn't sound so bad, right? That sounds like something that is really loving and caring to do. The only problem was one of the people around Inhei was Dusik. And even though he was her friend, he was also a really annoying human being. Like he was cowardly, he was very possessive. And honestly, I thought he was looking after his own agenda of trying to get with Inhei and trying to get Sunwoohoo's blood rather than actually looking after the well-being of the person he supposedly loved. He was also always turning a blind eye to the good nature of Sunwoohoo and treating him like a monster. And I think that's why it was so disappointing to see that Sunwoohoo ended up donating his blood to Dusik so that Dusik could live on. And I know that that's often the trait of a good person. They're willing to forgive their enemies and even make sure that their enemies are safe and sound and living a good life. But it just feels so unfair. Even talking about it now really makes my blood boil because what exactly did Dusik do to deserve the privilege to live on? And I know the logic was that he was one of Inhei's really close friends and so Sonwoo Hill thought the more people around her the better. But I feel like someone like that could still potentially hurt her in the future. What I also didn't like about the sacrifice was that there was a sense of fatalism. Like I don't think that Sunwoo Hill really tried to look for another way out. Like what would have made sense to me was to urgently look for any way that he could change his fate. But I felt like he just gave up. He was like, okay, well, I guess this is it. Like if Mr. Cat Person doesn't have any remedies for what's happened to me, I guess I need to just pass away. But let's say for argument's sake that there was no other way and he was definitely going to die. And then of course it would make sense to give his blood to someone who needed it to survive. Did he have to do it in such a traumatic way? Like, did he actually have to stab himself when Inhei was there in front of him begging him not to do it? I mean, honestly, I'm not Inhei, but I am super traumatized from that whole scene. I think that death scene really highlights the idiocy part of noble idiocy because someone who has spent so many episodes trying to hide from Inhei the fact that he is dying. He wants to spare her the pain of seeing him in pain. 
But then when he actually has the chance to spare her from seeing him die, he pulls the dagger towards himself and really kills himself in quite a violent and bloody way. Not even Dusik could do that, although I guess there was some sort of self-serving purpose in not doing that because he didn't want to seem bad in Inhei's eyes. But still, I couldn't decide whether Sommel Hill was being ironic or he was being super hypocritical here. But most likely he was probably being a noble idiot again because he was saving Dusik from looking like the bad guy who had stabbed him. So he took the dagger himself so that Inhei wouldn't be mad at her friend. But man, did he even think about Inhei's feelings? Because how would one feel if they saw the person they cared about the most die by their own hand? I feel like it would traumatize me for life and I would basically never move on. And the other thing I wanted to talk about with this death scene was that I was wondering what was wrong with just going to the beach and just dying. Like it seemed to be implied that he was going to die either way. So what was wrong with him falling asleep? And then eventually when they were sure he was dead, Dusik could do whatever he wanted. I think the death scene was just too much. It was just so overly dramatic and it didn't need to be. And as a lot of fans said, if they were going to do this, they probably should have called the series Heartbreak instead of Heartbeat. So I think just to reiterate the discussion about what makes some K-drama ending so unbearably bad. So we've talked about really poor pacing and now we've talked about noble idiocy, which is a trope that happens in these types of endings. The last thing I want to talk about is just illogical events. So this one has to do with Inhei actually, because she talked to Somo Hill about not thinking about death and trying to find a way around it. They had that sort of deep and meaningful chat. But then she acted as cool as a cucumber as if nothing was actually going wrong and they weren't just running out of time before Somo Hill passed away. But maybe that's realistic because sometimes when people are faced with the death of a loved one that's coming up, they end up just being totally in denial. But I guess what I didn't like and what I thought did not make sense was that she then went back to focusing on the guest house and I was like, you only have one guest at the guest house. Like, honestly, if the person I cared about the most was going to die, I would be trying to find as many ways as possible to prevent that from happening if I could. And if I couldn't, then I would probably be trying to make the last of their days as memorable and comfortable as possible. And I'm not saying Inhei's character didn't do that because of course she was always really loving towards him and they went on that trip and created all these beautiful last memories together. But again, it just felt really strange that the character was not investing all her energy into doing something about the immediate danger that was coming. I mean, even if they had a few scenes of her looking like she was anxious and trying to find remedies or asking the cat person how she could fix him or something like that, it would have really helped. It would have made me feel like it was logical that she was trying her best in both managing the guest house and her normal life, as well as trying to nurse Sommo Hill and find a way to keep him around. The other illogical event, which would also be debatable in this series, is the fact that Inhei's dad suddenly decides that he doesn't want to be a butler anymore, despite the fact that he had done so much as a butler. And then there's also the fact that Wu Hill rescued him from Manhui, so you'd think he'd be more 
grateful, especially when Somwell Hill was suffering and about to die. You'd think he would want to pay back his debt to Somwell Hill in some way, but I guess he had been doing that as a butler. He'd even given up his freedom, and so there was probably a lot of burnout. And then, of course, he was also traumatized from the fact that Manhui knew where he was living, so I guess I can see why he wanted to run away. Although, would he really be safer if Somwell Hill was not close to him? I don't think so, but I guess that's what he thought. Oh, and one more illogical and highly frustrating thing that I wanted to discuss but almost forgot about. I don't actually know how he came to realize that Inhei was Heisan all along. I know that Inhei fed him her blood when he was sick and unconscious and maybe he had a series of dreams about it, but still I felt like there was no solid conclusive evidence that one was the other. I felt like it was a bit like, you know, when you're in maths class and you come up with the answer and then you show your teacher and they're like, please show me the working out. I don't know how you got to this answer. That was exactly the feeling that I had when I saw that scene. And I also don't like this thing that sometimes happens in Korean dramas involving past lives, which is that they have this inconsistent idea where some people keep the same looks from one life to another, whereas other people change their looks completely. And so this is very messy in storytelling and I feel like they do it on purpose to give like characters twists and things like that. But I really don't like it because I can understand why one character would look the same from one life to another because you want a consistency in the storyline. Or I can understand why everyone looks different in different lives because sometimes you change. That's what reincarnation is. You could even become like a bug or something. But I don't like this weird like mishmash of both. And I think that's because there's never a logical explanation as to why some people are special enough to keep their looks the entire way through whereas others have to change all the time. And like in this series, what is the explanation for having Heisan become Inhei and then have a character that looks exactly the same as her? I mean, I know it's for the conflict and confusion, but I want to know why there's a doppelganger across different timelines. Like, please just explain to me. <laughs> in any case, I feel like there were always these little gaps where things were slightly illogical, but I don't think this drama is super bad in that department because there are way worse illogical things to happen in K-drama endings and sometimes it's something like a character's personality is completely changed in the last episode and I'm glad this didn't happen in this one because everyone was fairly consistent with the way they've been behaving the whole time but there have been times where you're just like I don't even know who this character is anymore. I've just seen the clock and I realized that I've been talking about the ending and not in a positive way for 40 minutes and I don't want to sound negative because again I want to say that I really liked this drama. There were parts that were quite charming. There were parts that were very cute and I thought it had a lot of promise which I wish hadn't been wasted in certain ways. But unlike the drama, let's end in a happy way. So I want to talk about all these things that I really liked about the drama and then I want to talk about vampire culture and how this sort of stacks up against other vampire k-dramas. So if I had to narrow it to one thing that I loved the most about Heartbeat, it would probably be Song Will Hill because 
that character was so much fun. I think there's something nice about following a conflicted character, a character who wants to be something that he's not. Because I think that's sometimes a universal feeling, like you want to be someone a bit different, you want to be a better version of yourself. These are all things that were reflected in the drama and I really like that focus that they had that he was a vampire who was more humane than humans. And I mean it's definitely not a unique theme because it's often in monster stories like the earliest one probably being like Frankenstein where you see that humans are sometimes the ones who are problematic whereas the monsters are ones that reflect on their humanity and their morality and they try to do things that better themselves because they've been labeled as monsters or told that by nature they should be evil. I mean I'm a sucker for philosophical debates and ethical discussions and things like that so this is right up my alley but I also think it's quite important for everyone to sort of think about that every once in a while because that's how we all become better people. And as I mentioned earlier I obviously liked the chemistry between Julian Hay and Song Woo Hill and I just thought that there was something really gentle and lovely about their moments together. I think it probably helps that they're both very good at doing that enthralled gaze at each other especially Taekyeon. And even though there wasn't like an abundance of overly romantic moments I felt like there was enough. There was enough romantic chemistry and tension and also every time there was a kiss it was set in a really beautiful and magical setting. Like the first one they were floating midair quite literally then they were sort of having a really gentle moment together in her bedroom and then also of course they kissed in the sunset. So those were all really nice moments. Another thing I really liked was the female lead. I felt like she was a very strong character and you can see that at the start when she is trying to survive on her own despite being pretty much an orphan but you can also see this throughout the series especially at the end because Inhei is the one who puts up with a lot of pressure from all the other characters so for example Heiwan the second female lead comes around and she does that thing that evil second female leads do which is pretty much put down and gaslight the female lead and make her feel like everything that is wrong is her fault but Inhei doesn't take any of that and not only does she not fall for anything that Heiwan says she even calls her out on her bad behavior and tells her that it's actually her that's causing Song Woo Hill to have a really tough time in life. And I just found this air of self-confidence so refreshing in a female lead because in the past female leads often bowed down to the second lead's bullying and so this really made me like In Hae as a character. I also thought she was really smart and she was always on to Dusik and the fact that he kind of wanted to do something to Song Woo Hill. I don't know if she knew that he wanted to kill him but she was always there ready to protect him from Dusik. I also feel like she was very clear about setting her boundaries when Dusik made her uncomfortable and that's not something that all female leads have done in dramas so I really liked that about her. And even in her relationship with Song Woo Hill she would try to make him discuss things with her and she also called him out because as I said before she said that line about how could he do to her what he had been suffering through all those years and leave her thinking about him for all of eternity. Unfortunately that did turn out to be the reality but I felt like at least she said it. She said what everyone was thinking. Aside from the main characters I also liked a number of the side characters. I thought that there was a lot of world building for the vampires which was subtle but also kind of smart and subverted the way that we kind of see vampires at the moment. So I feel like thanks to things like Twilight there is this conception that vampires must be really beautiful creatures but in this drama it was kind of like funny because the vampires were really average looking Joes. Like they were 
everyday people and I really appreciated that in this series. I also liked that they weren't rich because in every vampire series they always seem to have unlimited funds and I'm just like surely some people would not be that smart like even if they lived a thousand years they would not become millionaires. So I was really charmed by the fact that these vampires were your everyday people except they'd lived much longer and they still hadn't figured things out for themselves. And on top of that it seemed like the vampires despite having these magical abilities were just really scared of humans like even Manhui who's the bad vampire technically does not attack until the very end and so it was interesting to see that as a concept for vampires. What I will say about the world of the vampires is that I wish it was much bigger because they had references to there being other vampires out there and it would have been nice to have seen different vampires popping in and out to sort of make that world seem bigger. But another thing that I like which sounds a little bit contradictory is that I liked the fact that even though this world subverts what we expect of vampires it also has the traditional sort of like vampire folklore and most of that you get through the main character Son Wuhul. So he does all the stereotypically campy vampire things that you think he would do. You know he sleeps in a coffin, he would be killed by a stake and he dresses in a super dapper way like what more could you want from a vampire? Oh and following in the popular traditions of vampire literature like Interview with a Vampire and Twilight he's also super good looking and rich. I think my point is in Heartbeat they show that there's a variety of people who could be vampires and I really like that it's very inclusive. Before I forget I also really want to talk about how I liked the opening sequence for Heartbeat. I thought all the illustrations of the story were really cute. It seemed almost like an infographic version of the drama. I also really liked the opening theme song like the words were literally I revive several times over. Anyway it was just really thematic and fitting for the storyline about a vampire waking up from a hundred year slumber but I wonder if it was made specifically for this drama. So I think that ties up all the things I really liked about this drama just to balance out all the negative things that I talked about with the ending which I felt very strongly about and I know a lot of other people did too and in a way I hope this podcast episode was comforting in that you felt that someone else also understood the issues of heartbeat even though it was a nice drama and I guess I just want to clarify once again that I did not hate this drama even though I probably talked a lot of critical things about it but I think that's why I'm so critical about it because I liked it a lot and I thought that it could have been better and it's just sad that the ending wasn't. And on this note I think I forgot to talk a little bit more towards the idea of what a good sad ending is. I mean if we sidestep the idea that a rom-com shouldn't have a sad ending then these are a few things that Heartbeat could have done to have made their ending a good sad ending. So for me a good sad ending is actually established at the start of the drama where they sort of give you plenty of warning it's going to be a sad ending. Like maybe the main character talks in a past tense about something reflective, maybe there's a note of nostalgia. You just know that it will be sad and touching. And then the next thing is that the drama pacing needs to be good. I think this should be a requirement for every drama to be honest. So what that means is that there isn't filler episodes, there isn't dragging angsty episodes where it's like 
10 episodes of the character having a fight with someone just because they want to push them away because they're dying, that sort of thing, you know? All the events have to be logical or have to make sense as they're unfolding and leading towards the sad ending. And there has to be enough time to build up towards what is going to happen. And in a lot of cases, I think the more simple the sad ending is, the better. So in Heartbeat, I think they went full dramatic and made it complicated. And then all the time was used on a lot of subplots when really they should have just focused on the main story and given the characters ample time to try to find a solution, but then realize there is no solution and then spend a lot of time creating a beautiful goodbye and not creating all these dramatics towards the end. And definitely no noble idiocy. Like that is just so frustrating to watch when it's a sad ending and a lot of dramas make this mistake. They go into deep, deep noble idiocy territory and that's why the ending is bad because you're so frustrated by what's happening. And then I think with Heartbeat, there could have been a bit of a leeway to have a bittersweet ending instead of a full sad ending. I don't know if people realize this, but Inhei's experience going into the future is that it's a mirror of Samuel Hill's experiences waiting for Heisan. And because Inhei is Heisan, now she's waiting for Samuel Hill. And I guess the ending death scene also mirrored Heisan's death scene in that both were very traumatic events. Like Samuel Hill watched his lover die and he had to drink her blood because that was how she offered herself to save him. Similarly, Inhei watched Samuel Hill stab himself because he wanted to save someone else's life. And in both cases, they promised each other that they would find each other in their next life or in the future or something like that. And so really the ending could have shown Inhei as either the same actress or a different actress and Samuel Hill as either the same actor or a different actor because, you know, that whole idea of reincarnation and whether or not they keep their faces. And it wouldn't even have to be long. It could just be the two of them seeing each other and reconnecting and you just knowing that it's the same two characters seeing each other in a new life. That is a pretty bittersweet ending because it's not like you get everything that you want in that ending, but at least you know the characters meet again in another lifetime as they promise to do while they're dying. I guess that's debatable as to whether or not that's a proper sad ending, but it is a good compromise because I feel like it was something that could have been done in this drama to lead towards a sad ending, but also give the audiences what they wanted. So now I want to move on to the last topic, which is talking about vampire K-dramas and seeing where this one sits in terms of all of them. So would I say this one is my favorite vampire K-drama? And the answer, sadly enough, is no. I think there's a lot of things that I loved about it. If only the ending had been better. So my favorite vampire K-drama is one that's actually very short, and I think it's actually a web series, so I don't know if this counts or if it's cheating. The main actress is Kang Hana, so it's definitely in K-drama territory. The name of this web series is Bite Sisters. It's just a very short, sweet little series. And of course it shows like the vampires living in the past and also in the present. And it focuses around the lives of three vampire sisters. And the main storyline is about one of the vampire sisters seeing someone who looks a lot like her love in a past life. Can you see a similar theme here to Heartbeat? Anyway, she starts to treat that guy a little bit coldly because of what happened in the past, but then she warms up to him. And it's about overcoming that trauma and also it's a very gentle little storyline. So that's my favorite vampire series, but I would put Heartbeat second because of all the other stuff I've seen, I feel like Heartbeat did a better job in terms of exploring and sort of unpicking apart vampire culture. I'm going to be fair and say I haven't seen Scholar Who Walks in the Night, which is one of the more well-known vampire dramas because it's also historical and a 
a costume drama, so it's perfect for vampire theme. And of course, the main actor in that is Lee Soo Hyuk, who I think is a very otherworldly looking actor. Like, if tomorrow they found out that vampires really existed and some of the actors were vampires, I feel like one of them would definitely be him because he has such a beautiful, ethereal, and unusual look. I admittedly did start at once but couldn't get into it, and I'm not sure if that's because of my hate-love situation with historical dramas or because something didn't sit right with me. I feel like you should like tweet me or talk to me on a forum if you would highly recommend it. In terms of other vampire dramas, I have seen Bits of Blood, which featured Ku Hai-san and her ex-husband. I wish I could say that I got into it, but again, I'm not a big fan of medical dramas and so I didn't really get into that one. I've also seen Bits of Orange Marmalade, which is such a weird title for a vampire series, but original I guess? And again, I don't think I got very far, so perhaps I need to revisit a lot of these vampire dramas, but there is one that I have heard of which is very short, only six episodes, and it might actually be a web series called Vampire Flower, which I think I could check out next. Hmm, now that I think about it, I feel like I've actually ended up starting and dropping a lot of vampire series in terms of K-dramas, and so I feel like I might need to finish those series before I do this section, but let's revisit this sometime. Anyway, before we go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to me rant on an hour about the heartbeat ending. I hope I didn't come across as too negative. I hope it was a bit more analytical and cathartic. And if you had difficulty processing the ending like I did, I hope talking it out really helped. Also, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. It will help to motivate me to make more episodes and hopefully I will do that because I'm watching a lot of things at the moment. I'm currently watching The Uncanny Counter, Moving, and I really want to start that new one with Ruin as well. So hopefully I'll be able to make more episodes soon. Anyway, take care till the next time.